This is a podcast from thebuglepodcast.com. The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 236 of The Bugle for the week beginning Monday the 26th of May 2013. The newscast that D'Artagnan's the sword of truth to carve the carrot of confusion into the decorative plate adornment garnish of definitive political analysis. With me, Andy Zaltzman, still the proud owner of an O&O record in the professional cage-fighting circuit. No one seems to want, to, want to want a piece of me. Read into that what you will. I'm live in London and in New York City, where in just a couple of weeks' time he will temporarily take over from John Stewart the sacred task of destroying everything America holds dear. The man with a hat on from Manhattan. It's the guy who might not be able to get turkeys to vote for Christmas, but could at least get them discussing the issue properly with a trace of objectivity. It's the human horseradish. <laughs> Pecan, acerbic, helping to cut through the fat, can really spice things up when he's got a beef with something. Unsuitable for children. Inappropriate at most meal times and to be taken in moderation. It's John Oliver. <laughs> wow, wow. Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. Thank you for um uh, for reminding me oh, yeah. that uh, I'm taking over in just a couple of weeks, yeah. Andy. That sound you hear is my stomach flipping back <laughs> over again. Uh, so uh, yeah, we're taking a week off. How difficult can it be to read an auto cue, John? <laughs> it can't be that hard. Unfortunately, it's everything that comes before that reading that's the problem. <laughs> Uh, we're taking a week off uh, next week, so this will be my last chance to point out, for those buglers who may be in uh, New York on the 3rd, 4th and 5th of June, if you're interested, I'm going to be doing another series of my stand-up show the week before I take over the <laughs> Daily Show, basically ensuring there's almost no way of me getting out of the month of June without having some form of heart attack. <laughs> anyway, if buglers would like to come along, you're more than welcome, and you can get tickets at theblacklistnyc.com for the low, low price of absolutely nothing whatsoever, <laughs> other than, of course, stealing an evening of your lifetime that <laughs> you can never get back, precious time. Yeah. You can never claw back, even when you feel you need it the most. And, you know, when you factor, factor that in, Andy, the tickets are, of course, priceless, and that you shouldn't come. <laughs> Don't come. Do something important with your life. Yeah, instead you can come and see my gigs in uh, in there Norway. Instead, there we yeah. go. Bergen, <laughs> Are you in the- Bergen, Trondheim, and Oslo. That's ne- that's this coming week. So you better be your classic this, Viking uh, tour, Andy. That's right. Yeah, starting on Wednesday, I think I can't remember if that's Bergen or Trondheim, and then Thursday in whichever one wasn't Wednesday, and then two dates in Oslo, Friday and Saturday. That sounds like a that sounds like a nicely confusing tour yep. T-shirt. And I've got some dates at the other belly in London as well, since you ask, coming up in uh, June and July, but I, I can't remember the dates of them. I'll keep them up my sleeve. It's all on the website. <laughs> Man, I, I, we are really getting the hang of this uh, promotion. Yeah, well, that was the hard sell. Yeah. I, I tell you what, Andy, I'm yeah. guessing most buglers have just turned off, because I think yeah. I just did. Yeah, all right, <laughs> Well, this is the week beginning Monday the 26th of May 2013, which means it's 105 years to the day since the first major oil strike in the Middle East. That is 105 years of happiness for the lucky people who live there and have all benefited so harmoniously from the bounteous gifts of their land. Uh, Also, 75 years since the House Un-American Activities Committee began its first session in 1938, and amongst the activities considered un-American in 1938, uh, were being a vampire, that was considered very European, drinking unpasteurised snake milk, (laughs) Canadian, talking about French classical music, French, playing cricket, anywhere civilised, being a massive communist, (laughs) bit Russian, and making animated movies featuring realistic-looking women. That was was viewed as kind of Czechoslovakian. (laughs) 
And uh, it's uh, also exactly 310 years since the diarist Samuel Pepys died. And oh. his... Uh, actually, they've just uncovered... Because uh, they thought he'd, qu- he'd quit the diary writing game in 1669 because of failing eyesight. But they just found in the British Library... Uh, Volumes from later in his life that were found down the back of it. In fact, found down the back of a sofa in a bedsit in Clapham. Oh, that's lucky. Which uh, suggests that the peeps were actually carried on writing until minutes before his death. In fact, the final entry is this: "I'm 70 years old. I'm fucking bored. London hasn't burnt down for 37, 37 years now. I've tried on all the wigs a man can try on in a lifetime, and I still look silly in them all. So I've decided to take up a new <laughs> hobby to keep my mind and body active." Base jumping. I've made a parachute out of Mrs. Groggins's spare bloomers, and I'm off to Westminster Abbey to teach this so-called gravity that that dickhead Newton keeps banging on about, a lesson it will not forget. Chocks away. I, t- I tell you what, Andy, we might have lost buglers with the hard sell stuff, but we've definitely <laughs> got them back with the Samuel Pepys reference. <laughs> Can't beat a bit of the old peepster. Come uh, on, peepee! <laughs> and London has barely changed, actually, since if you... Uh, if you read it backwards. Um, a section in the bin. This week, as always, a section of the bugle is going straight in the bin. This week, a gardening section. How to stop weeds the environmentally friendly way with threats of pain, death and eternal hell with the, new, with the Catholic Church's new Inquistador weed-killing micro-priest. Just plant <laughs> your Inquistador in your flower bed and it will declaim terrifying promises of damnation that are sure to get your plants to behave. We also review the latest garden furniture, including the barbecue that must have for all barbecue fans a barbecue modelled on the world's most famous barbarous. Choose from the actresses Hershey or Windsor or the former First Lady Bush. Burn those cursed democratic sausages in the flames of righteousness. Also, no more running hammock. How to control your kids in the garden with this fun yet inescapable security hammock, which traps your unsuspecting offspring in a safe spider's web style, spider's web. And the lazy Sue's lawn. Have your lawn rotate around you as you stand still with your lawnmower, saving you time and hassle. All that reviewed in the bin this week. Top story this week, Rainbow Roundup. It's gay news! <laughs> Bigotry, Andy, in all its forms, is by its nature inherently ludicrous. But homophobia seems to bring out an extra spicy level of distilled insanity. And it has been a race to the bottom of the barrel this week in terms of fear-mongering of the most fabulous kind. First on our homophobic hike, in Britain, a man called Lord Norman Tebbit gave a spectacular interview. <laughs> now, if, if you don't know who Norman Tebbit is, first off, congratulations. <laughs> you, you must have lived such a wonderful life up to this point. What a shame that that's all about to change. Norman Tebbit is a man who is the personification of everything that is wrong with the UK's lordship system. Because if he can be elevated to the title of lord and have that title be given to him in a non-sarcastic manner, something is tremendously wrong with Britain. He looks exactly what you think a man called Norman Tebbit would look like. (laughs) Do an experiment now. Picture what you think Norman Tebbit looks like immediately. Now, Google his name, click on images... See, you're completely right. He, uh, Tebbit gave an interview to uh, The Big Issue in Britain, which was immediately surprising as it's a paper which was created to give homeless people the chance to earn a legitimate income. And I believe the only legitimate income that Norman Tebbit believes homeless people are good for is working as logs on his fire. <laughs> uh, anyway, 
The, the only way this interview makes sense is if he was either completely wasted or was recovering from a huge concussion or both. Because otherwise, it seems like he permanently checked into the Hotel Crazy Town. Now, I realise... I think all this... three of those things actually have happened. <laughs> I realise I'm giving this quite a big build-up, but Tebbit is about to deliver. I'm writing checks that he's about to overcash. Uh, he went on a rant about Prime Minister David Cameron's intent to plough ahead with legalising gay marriage, saying that it opened up the possibility of a lesbian queen giving birth to a future monarch by artificial insemination. Let me just give you his exact quote, because you're probably thinking, uh, no way. There is no f***ing way he said that. He said, and brace yourself, when we have a queen who is a lesbian and she marries another lady and then decides that she would like to have a child, and someone donates sperm and she gives birth to a child, is that child heir to the throne? <laughs> Andy, yep. I would like to spend just a moment inside Norman Tebbit's head, just to see what the world looks like from in there, and then I'd like to get out as quickly as possible. I'd basically like to bungee jump into his mind, dip my head in there, and then get the f*** out. <laughs> I think it's mostly just little people riding around on bicycles, um, but I mean, this is the. I mean, I, I, I think he, I think you're being harsh on him, John. I think this is like a classic philosophical quandary. You know, when we have a queen well, who's a lesbian and she marries another lady, they decide to have a child with donated sperm. Is that child heir to the throne? That's that's a philosophical quandary to set alongside things like uh, Schrodinger's cat, uh, which I think was <laughs> if you have a cat and it gets a bit mangy but is otherwise fine, whilst next door's cat has kidney, liver and bowel problems, but has nice fur. So you kidnap next door's cat, do a full-body fur transplant, so your basically healthy cat gets a lovely new coat. Is your cat still the same cat? <laughs> it's uh, or Occam's Razor, which was uh, Occam. Yeah. It's a very famous philosophical quantity. I'm a bit rusty on this. It's been a while since I've done any philosophy. But I think it was Occam has a beard and suffers a cranial injury that impairs his mental faculties. So he goes out to try and buy a razor, but ends up in a pet shop buying an iguana, which he then teaches to graze the beard off his face, and that he keeps in a jar by his basin. Is the iguana a razor or not? So um, yeah, when it's, it's very much alongside those, those great philosophical imponderables. But it does also suggest, them, John, that yeah, why is he speculating on whether or not there is going to be a lesbian queen? And I think the reason <laughs> is he has yeah. inside information on Prince William and, and Kate Middleton's imminent baby. Because clearly, I mean, they've probably had, they must have had scans done on it. They must know what's mm-hmm. coming out. And clearly Tebbit's got some uh, insider political gossip that has shown that the royal Fototina is, in fact, a lesbian. Um, now, I'm sure William and Kate won't mind. They seem pretty modern and well-adjusted. But it is a constitutional pavlova, John. What are we going to do in this country with our new lesbian baby queen? Well, it's, the amazing thing is... Norma Tebbit did not stop there in the interview, and he could have done happily. Now, the journalists were probably already to just stop their dictaphone, throw it out of the window and say, thanks, Norma, you've already given me more than enough. But he didn't, he didn't stop there, because uh, he's apparently of the opinion that legalising gay marriage could also lead to people marrying members of their own family to avoid inheritance tax. Again, you're probably thinking, no way. This time, that's definitely bullshit. He did not say that. An adult did not say that. Well, strap in, because he said, and I quote, It would lift my worries about inheritance tax because maybe I'd be allowed to marry my son. Why not? Why shouldn't a mother marry her daughter? Why shouldn't two elderly sisters living together marry each other? Now, Andy, I mean, like you, I don't want to come across as an armchair psychologist. (laughs) 
here, but I think Norman Tebbit is sexually attracted to members of his own family. There's just no other explanation for why else that thought would pop into his head. That's what happens when someone sticks Lord at the front of your name, I think. <laughs> but, uh, of course, I mean, this concern of his is a perfectly understandable concern, but it is covered by existing laws on uh, incest yes. and, uh, and bigamy, right. which have been fairly rigorously applied, give or take the odd thousand years of royal interbreeding. Uh, but it would make also, I mean, just logistically, that would be an extremely awkward wedding, and you would have to <laughs> really, really want that inheritance tax. <laughs> there some very awkward family situations. Enid, darling. Yes, Nigel, darling. Uh, you know how we've been happily married for over 50 years? Uh, yes, love. Blissfully happily wedded, Enid. You know, the best years of your life. Uh, yeah, I suppose so, Nigel, sure. Uh, in which time my magic seed has brought forth the fruit of your womb. Uh, I like to think of them as Petula and Nigel Jr. Uh, yes, those are the ones, love. I've never been very good with names. So what about those 50 years of happy marriage, Nigel? Uh, I want a divorce. Oh, that's a shame, love. Yeah, it is, rather, after everything we've been through. Yeah. Is is there someone else? Uh, there's no easy way to say this, but yes, that there is there is someone else. Is it someone I know? It usually is. Just tell me, Nigel, it's the not knowing that's the worst part. He's up, Enid. You've only not known for about ten seconds. It's more like twenty. Just be honest with me, Nigel. Surely that's the least I deserve after fifty, more than fifty years of dutiful wedlock. I'd kind of counted on us spending our last few years together as we suffer the long, slow slide into the welcoming chasm of nothingness that is death. Oh, fair point, love. Yes, it is someone you know. Oh, it's not old Agatha, is it? I've had my suspicions about you two ever since you had your new bags fitted at the same hospital. Uh, no, it's not Agatha. Is it Ethel, whose eighth husband, Bernard, sadly passed away suddenly last Christmas after his 90th birthday treat bobsled run went tragically wrong? No, it's not life insurance, Ethel, no. Is it one of the Kardashians? <laughs> no, I've only met them on the telly. Well, you seem to spend a lot of time with them. It's technically a very well-made show, Enid. Well, then, who is it, Nigel? Yes. Yes, what? Yes, it is, Nigel. Oh, no, are you having one of your episodes again? I know you're Nigel, you don't need to tell me. No, no, I meant the other person. It's Nigel Jr., our son. What, you're divorcing me to marry our son? Oh, how can I be so blind? <laughs> I knew you two have been spending a lot of time together over the last 47 years. Knew it! At least, as long as you don't give it the whole, it's not you, it's me, shtick. Well, well it's not you or me, it's inheritance tax. You're prepared to tear this family apart for the purpose of saving a few quid on inheritance tax? Yes, bottom line, Enid, bottom line. And presents, we really need some new plates. Yes, Nigel, we do need some new plates. That's because there's a time and a place for practising your discus throwing and clearing the table after dinner is not it. You never encouraged me, Enid. I bet Mrs Zelesny didn't mind Jan chucking his knives and forks into the dishwasher. Well, I bet she did. And I bet Mrs Fosbury also minded her dick landing splat on top of her in their unnecessarily high bunk bed every night as well. And Mrs Fangio was not at all comfortable with her Juan Manuel insisting on doing the school <laughs> run. Come on, Enid, he got them there on time every day. In fact, early, usually. And I know for a fact that Mrs Palmer got heartily sick of her Arnold helping out whenever she unpacked the shopping by insisting that he was allowed to put the satsumas in the fruit bowl that he kept 350 y- yards away down the bottom of the garden round a tricky left or right dog leg. And as for Mrs Hawken, well, I don't know how many times she had to tell her Hulk to go easy on the goodnight hogs for their little ones. No, it's always negatives with you, Enid, isn't it? What are we talking about again? I'm marrying Nigel Jr. for tax purposes. <laughs> oh, I love weddings. Can I be a bridesmaid? No, actually, I thought maybe you could marry Petula at the same time. Oh, I love weddings. Will you be my best man? I'm 84. <laughs> Andy, what? you didn't just write a joke. You wrote a play. <laughs> <laughs>
I think that is an insight into the Tebbit family, though. There was a, a, a documentary <laughs> a few years ago about the genetic background of a, of like 10 English celebrities. Oh, and, yeah. and Norman Tebbit was one of the people. And everyone, they were astonished, like, you know, you're, you're part Asian and you're part sub-Saharan yeah. African, except Tebbit, who was the only person <laughs> who was 100% British. <laughs> that is... I mean, the amazing thing for a British person is that Norman Tebbit, Andy, is like hatred nostalgia. <laughs> my, whole, my whole childhood, he was there, you know, inspiring vitriol from the British public as one of the top faces in the Conservative government. And when you see him now, you get that warm, recognisable feeling of bile in your stomach as you see his stupid face. Uh, it wasn't even just the gaze that he turned his eye on. He also blasted David Cameron's entire ministerial team, claiming that they've f***ed things up. And... <laughs> The thing is, what you need to understand is this is not out of character at all, this. This is a man who, back in 2010, and I swear to you this is true, got into a fight with a Chinese New Year dragon. <laughs> it's true. He was, he was 78 at the time, and he claimed that he was new to the area, was not aware of the tradition, and had been startled by the noise. One witness said that he ran, that he saw an old man run a hundred yards down the road, grab one of the drums that was being hit, and then kick the backside of the dragon, <laughs> not realising that inside the dragon, while there was a, an adult at the front, there was a child at the back. <laughs> he kicked a child in a dragon costume. And when questioned about it, Norman Tebbit said, I was barged by the dragon. I barged it back and might have done something like kick it. I wasn't sure how to deal with it. I've never been barged by a dragon before. <laughs> and when, when asked whether he had anything to say to the child he kicked, he replied, and I swear this is true, he should get himself promoted to the front of the dragon. <laughs> Norman Tebbit, Andy, was the reason that Britain used to rule the world. That level of unabashed confidence. And it's worth remembering that when we ruled the world, we were f***ing assholes. <laughs> Well, he was famously outspoken, as you say, through the uh, 1980s yeah. when we were growing up. Uh, f famously, with his on your bike quotes, suggesting that people should stop complaining about not having jobs and get on their mm. bikes to find a job, which would have been fine if his government hadn't been so busy stealing everyone's bicycle and crushing them down for scrap. Um, <laughs> so, as you said, he, he had a pop at uh, Cameron and accused Downing Street of forcing this gay ma marriage legislation through with very little thought. He said the government discussed it for 20 minutes on the morning of its announcement. They'd done no work on it beforehand. And you have to say, well, well done to the government, because this is not the kind of thing that requires a lot of thought. Because when you're deciding whether or not to legalise gay marriage, I guess what you would think, being a government in Britain was, A, it's 2013, B, it's Britain, and we like to bang on about how great freedom, equality and shit like that are, and C, it makes absolutely no difference to anyone else who isn't directly affected by it. Yes, done. I'm surprised it took them as long as 20 minutes, John. <laughs> I guess the concern is, you know, where will it end, John? Because, you know, it's just one small step from the EU forcing the Queen to become a lesbian. And not just dabble with it, John, actually become a fully paid-up <laughs> lesbian and then be impregnated with the splurms of a gay icon such as Elton John. And is that a kind of Britain you want to live in? But... Well, you take Tebbit's concern, back to those original concerns about a lesbian queen giving birth to the heir to the throne by artificial insemination from a random test tube of anonysperm. You have to ask, would that be more or less ridiculous than the current system of monarchy that we have anyway? <laughs> in which an 87-year-old woman prances around yes. in special clothes with hats that, 
worth enough to solve global poverty, who's been stuck in the same job for over 60 years, way beyond state retirement age, despite being allegedly a public sector worker, whose face is plastered all over our currency, even though she actually has no constitutional power and basically can't do anything more politically active than wave and frown, uh, because it turns out our monarchs weren't, as was previously thought, chosen by God. Or maybe God just got bored of choosing our monarchs. I don't know. And whose successful avoidance of death we marked just a couple of years ago by sticking her on a gold-encrusted boat and shoving her <laughs> down a river, and who only became queen because her uncle fell in love with the wrong woman, and therefore, because she was married uh, or divorced, had to quit his job. I mean, you never get that through Brussels these days. And anyway, whose family were only in place because of a Parliament Act in 1701 that banned Catholics from the throne because they believed in the wrong brand of Jesus, meaning that a German guy who would have been about 50th in line to the throne became king despite not being able to speak English and despite the fact that he's locked his yeah. that he'd locked his wife in a castle for the rest of her life after she'd allegedly had an affair and then hacked her lover to pieces. It wouldn't be yes. any weirder than of that course. system. God save <laughs> Andy, that's a, a beautiful retelling of the British history which makes complete <laughs> sense. I, 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 I didn't know that about George I until uh, doing the factual background for that joke. That, uh, yeah, he locked his wife in a castle for 30 oh. years and um, allegedly hacked her lover to pieces. And that was the kind of decisive... I mean, I guess that, that does put him pretty much in the Henry Henry VIII school of how to end a relationship. <laughs> yeah. Closure, Andy. He just wanted closure. <laughs> French gay news now. And uh, while Norman Tebbit seems to suggest that uh, Britain is going to be a little more difficult to get uh, gay marriage through than is ideal, France recently passed gay marriage, uh, it, with it actually becoming law last Saturday. And your initial thought to the news of that is, yeah, of course they did. They're France. You know, even their capital city is called Gay Paris. Why did it take them so long? But it's been a depressingly controversial decision in France. One right-wing MP there claimed that the government was killing children by allowing same-sex married couples to adopt. I don't know how that kills the children, frankly, Andy, unless the MP was concerned that gay couples might boil their new children <laughs> down into some kind of gay soup. I don't know, but... Well, it's possible, possible, isn't it? My explanation makes exactly as much sense as whatever his explanation was. Uh, <laughs> well, I, mean, I, th- I, mean, that, I mean, that is possible, the thing with... Because, you know, gays don't have the gene for parenting, do they? Well, that's right, I mean, I get that... I guess that's so, the if they argument. get a child, they'll probably think, oh, that could be a vegetable. Maybe we'll boil yeah. it. <laughs> well, I another French senator said gay marriage would pave the way for people to be able to marry animals or objects, which is just... <laughs> it's a classic anti-same-sex marriage argument, Andy. Where does it end? Do, do, you, do you really want people marrying toasters or <laughs> pigeons? Because that's what's going to happen. I will not attend the marriage between a tennis racket and a guinea pig. I won't do it, however nice the invitation is. Uh, all these protests in France came to a head this week when a far-right essayist called Dominique Venner uh, shot himself in uh, Notre-Dame Cathedral after uh, writing in a blog that more radical action was needed to stop gay marriage happening. Uh, Marine Le Pen, uh, the head of the far-right Front National in France and record-breaking bitch, uh, tweeted, <laughs> <laughs> tweeted her respect for Venner and said his death was an eminently political gesture. Well, I have a few thoughts on Dominique Venner's action, Andy. One... This does not seem like a huge loss to the human race. <laughs> uh, 
Two, if he was going to do something this stupid, at least he only killed himself. It's probably the most preferable kind of extremist act. And three, he was 78. I don't think that makes this a particularly bold act. The average life expectancy in France is 81. Do this in your 30s and you're actually giving something up. Right now, all Dominique has done is saved France another three years of his relentless assholery. <laughs> Gay blame news now. And, uh, well, gays are often blamed for natural disasters well, here why in the not? US, Andy. Yeah. I, don't, well, I don't know why that is, you know, whether it's their rhythmic dancing causes earthquakes or their, their constant gossiping causes hurricanes. I don't know, but there's, there's a history of these attempted explanations. Uh, in 2012, a chaplain called uh, John McTernan linked Hurricane Sandy and a number of other uh, natural disasters on uh, LGBT people and uh, President Obama's backing of uh, gay marriage uh, equality, which, you know, it makes complete sense if uh, you don't think about it at all. (laughs) Uh, He also linked Hurricane Isaac with the LGBT community, pointing out the fact, Andy, the fact that the storm coincided with New Orleans gay Mardi Gras. Coincidence, Andy? (laughs) Yes, obviously, (laughs) yes. Uh, On his website, uh, this guy, uh, McTernan, Chaplain McTernan, uh, claims to have a BS from Virginia Commonwealth University. And I'm guessing that BS stands for bullshit, Andy, <laughs> and that he has a doctorate in it. <laughs> there was a prominent member of the, uh, the, the notorious Westboro Baptist Church, Ugh, uh, yes. Fred Phelps Jr., the son of the church's minister, uh, Fred Phelps Sr., I guess, um, yeah. tweeted that the Oklahoma tornado was due to God being cross uh, at the local team supports for its openly gay basketball star, Jason Collins. And he finished his tweet uh, with a number of hashtags that were particularly offensive. And also, you do the math. <laughs> so, basically, Oklahoma supports a gay baseball player. God then sends his tornado. You, you do the math. Well, I have done the math. And the math suggests that there is no direct statistical correlation between homosexual basketball players and natural disasters. I'm a bit rusty on advanced calculus, I'll give you that. But I'm in fair play to uh, Phelps Jr. If he's worked out somehow that basketball plus homosexual equals the death of innocent people, then either fair play, you're a far better mathematician than I, or buy a new f***ing calculator. I think you might have spilled (laughs) some jam on it. Well, here's the thing, I mean, you... I'm always, you're always reluctant to give Westboro Baptist Church the oxygen of publicity <laughs> that they seem to so crave. I mean, I guess the, the broader point is, if you are a member of the Westboro Baptist Church, you are officially a paid-up member of the <laughs> club. <laughs> uh, and I'm glad, Andy, that the word <laughs> still retains its ability to shock, mainly because it means it still carries some weight <laughs> when you use it accurately to describe... These total volcanoes. <laughs> well, in the search of volcanoes, uh, recent archaeological research has shown that on the Indonesian island of Krakatoa, which famously oh, yeah. uh, was one of the biggest volcanic eruptions in, in history in the 1880s, they've found the remnants of at least 40 gay nightclubs <laughs> from, uh, from just before oh, the eruption. shit. Yeah. Oh, God, it's hard to argue yeah. with that. And, you know, look at Pompeii. Those guys yeah. are total perverts. Total perverts. Yeah. Oh, I mean, when you put it like that, Andy, <laughs> it still doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> 
Food, glorious food. Food of the future news now. And, well, great news, Andy. The yeah. UN has solved world hunger. Yay. It's done it. It has done it. Oh, it's just one tiny, barely visible catch. It solved it in potentially the most unappetising way imaginable. <laughs> How? Well, let me put it this way. You know that thing that you just stamped on with your foot when it crawled across the floor? Eat it, because you better get used to the taste of it. It's what we're all going to be eating in the future. A, uh, essentially, a new UN report has revealed that eating more insects could dramatically help fight world hunger. And, you know, there's already a precedent for this working right now. Over two billion of the world's population already include insects in their diet. And uh, apparently insect farming could be one of the ways to address food and feed security. That's what the UN report says. Now, for a start, Andy, I love the idea of an insect farm. And when I say <laughs> I love it, I mean it makes my skin crawl. Although, to be fair, insect farm, as a term, is basically directly interchangeable with New York City. This, <laughs> this might actually, this report might solve New York's budget problem in a single heartbeat, because... New York now holds spectacularly large resources of the world's next foodstuff. No longer is this the filthiest city on earth, Andy. Now it's instantly transformed into a sustainable, free-range gourmet cockroach farm. (laughs) What's for dinner tonight, sweetheart? I don't know, honey. Let's see what we've got behind the fridge. (laughs) In fact, Mayor Bloomberg, Andy here, he should include this in New York's next tourist commercial. Are you hungry? Looking for a high-protein, low-fat snack? Why not just come to New York City and cycle down 2nd Avenue with your mouth open? (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, I'm not at all happy about this, John, because, you know, I like like my food, and there's no way Mm -hmm. I'm prepared to eat insects. You know, the mashed-up connective tissue of pigs. Yeah, yeah, happy with that. (laughs) The livers of birds that basically amount to aerial vermin. Yeah, the hacked-to-pieces corpse of a mechanically slaughtered baby cow. Absolutely. Insects? <laughs> Never. Unless they're basically insects that live in the sea, in which case, oh yeah, give me a bit of mayonnaise and let me rip its head off. I need to whole, <laughs> stomach included, in one go. I don't care if its dead eyes are staring at me and if it was waving at me from a bucket ten minutes ago. Yum. The, the report argues that wasps, beetles and other insects are currently underutilised <laughs> as food for people and livestock. Uh, insect farming is, they say, uh, one of the many ways to address food security. Uh, they're particularly important as a food supplement for undernourished children. I- insects are everywhere and they reproduce quickly, the report says. And they Randy have little a- bastards. <laughs> yeah, and... and the- <laughs> And they have love, lovely chip in, Andy. <laughs> and uh, they have a high growth and feed uh, conversion rate and a low environmental footprint. It, it states that nutritionally, you can get just as much protein from a meal of crickets than a meal of meat. And uh, it goes on to say that the key obstacle in Western countries to insects as a foodstuff will be consumer disgust. <laughs> now, here's the thing, Andy. That seems like a pretty big f- obstacle to have people disgusted by something you've got to be a pretty amazing salesman to overcome inherent revulsion what can i do to put you in this new brand new chevy vault today it it's okay i can wait for your gag reflex to stop don't worry people often have that response sure i I can i can can give you a mint no problems let's talk about this car oh boy no need to worry let me fetch a mop that's not an easy sale to make andy but the thing is, you say that, John, but, you know, consumer disgust is 
seems to be quite easy to overcome. There's a lot of things we'll tolerate, as the price of our T-shirts will testify. <laughs> I mean, our T-shirts as a society, that's, not the Bugle-specific T-shirts, which are all uh, handmade by multi-millionaires in the Cayman Islands. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different kind of factory farming. But it, oh, the environmental thing is interesting, because uh, farm animals produce a lot, of, a lot of gases. In fact, farm animals around the world fart 18 trillion cubic metres of methane mm. an hour... <laughs> Uh, and I might have made that figure up. But it means that, according to scientists, if all farm animals lit their farts at the same time, <laughs> it would blow the earth 13% off its current axis. <laughs> but you couldn't get that with insects. You couldn't get that with insects. But what, I mean, the other question is, John, coming at this from a Jewish perspective, are insects kosher? And can you slaughter a wasp in a halal ma- manner? I, and right. mo- most concerningly, what if I was tucking into a mosquito burger and one of the mosquitoes in it had bitten Osama bin Laden. I could be Ugh. eating his terrorist blood if it hadn't been properly cooked. Yeah, it's just not going to work, Andy. Yeah, so you want to? Yeah, definitely don't go medium rare. Have it maybe well, well done if you're having you just to be on the safe side. <laughs> well, one of the suggestions in the report is that the food industry could help in raising the status of insects <laughs> by including them in new recipes and adding them to restaurant menus. You could also help raise the status of the insects, Andy, by photographing them in little tuxedos going to the opera. <laughs> Maybe get some Hollywood actress or models uh, to uh, be photographed dating an insect. I'm almost 100% sure that there are hundreds of actresses in Los Angeles that would be willing to do that for publicity. Uh, Rumours are that Tara Reid is currently dating a wasp. <laughs> they were photographed stumbling out of Nobu together where they shared a romantic meal. Tara Reid's publicist told E! News that they are head over legs in love. <laughs> uh, but the world has never quite mastered the issue of food and food distribution and with uh, population continuing to reflect we are going to have to address this John it's become very an, an increasingly it's become increasingly difficult to ignore the elephant that has made itself very comfortable in our living rooms has taken a hearty shit on the rug by the fire <laughs> and is now vegging out on the sofa and starting to make a move on our teenage daughter we are going <laughs> to have to address this problem at some point. And actually, it's a lot of it is psychological. Um, scientist right. Arnold van House from Wageningen University in the Netherlands, I mean, that sounds near enough, uh, one of the authors of the report, um, said that uh, there are a lot of psychological barriers. He had, did a blind tasting in which 9 out of 10 preferred meatballs made from half meat, half worm, than those made <laughs> entirely from meat. So, but we see oh. the psychological aspect of food, you know, in euphemisms such as sweetbreads, offal, yeah. uh, cheese... <laughs> Um, free range, that's hope tricked, and the word fresh, which basically just means dead. Um, it, all comes down to, to, it all comes down to marketing, doesn't it? It all comes down to marketing. Would you like to eat a moth? No, thanks. Would you like to eat a hand-fried Fluttercrisp? Oh, yeah, that sounds lovely. And the effect on kids' storybooks could be disastrous, John, because so many kids' storybooks yeah. focus on farm animals, as I'm sure you're aware from all the books that you've read to uh, to Hoagie over yeah. the last uh, last couple of years. Um, but the... Uh, a lot of farm animals. So the unwritten tragic subtext, while well, it's lovely that little Flopsy the sheep is running around the field with his friends Janet the cow and Wesley the chicken. But ultimately, don't forget, Flopsy's going to be put on the back of a lorry with 150 other little sheep, driven to an abattoir and in a fog of confusion, panic and fear, shot in the back of a head with a bolt gun before having his throat slit and being hum- hung up on a hook and bled out before being hacked to pieces and having every part of his body dispatched to various shady parts of the food chain, if he's lucky. That's the unwritten subtext. Not unspoken, <laughs> at least not unspoken, if I'm reading the book. <laughs> so, <laughs> can't let your children live in a dreamland, Buglers. Sleep well, kids! <laughs> Sleep well! Bleeding from the neck, upside down. <laughs> Sweet dreams. 
space food news now, and well, also earlier this week, Andy, NASA awarded a $125,000 six-month grant uh, to design a 3D printer capable of printing a pizza from 30-year <laughs> shelf-stable foodstuffs. That's right, Andy, pizza from a 3D printer <laughs> in space. <laughs> oh, that's an option, Andy, and yet we still don't have an affordable rocket boot on the market. <laughs> Where are our f***ing priorities? <laughs> Apparently, Peter has been one item missing from astronauts' menu uh, up in space for years. Really? The 3D printer would, yeah, it would build up a pizza, uh, serving uh, uh, by uh, first layering out the dough onto a heated plate and then adding tomato sauce and toppings. I mean, what I would say to astronauts, Andy, is this. I'm so sorry that you haven't had pizza to eat up there. But, you know, you do, on the other hand, get to look at the majesty of space and look back at the beauty of Earth with a perspective few people get to experience in a lifetime. And yet, clearly, that's not enough, Andy. Clearly, some astronauts have looked down on the marble miracle of Earth from a spectacular height and thought, I could f***ing murder a pizza right now. (laughs) Well, I guess from space, Earth does look quite like a pizza. So maybe that's... Yeah. Maybe that's, why. <laughs> maybe that's it. It's, it's just, round. Yeah. It's got, you know, squiggly bits on it. Yeah. It looks kind of melted. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to make you think of a hot dog, is it? It's going to make you think of a pizza. But, <laughs> but actually, that, I mean, they did, they did have a wood-burning pizza oven on uh, <laughs> Apollo 13, which is, I think, why things went tits up. But be be careful what you wish for, astronauts, because the toppings may turn out to be a little off-menu. Apparently, uh, the uh, news story said, the proteins would be be provided by cartridge injectors filled with organic base powders derived from algae, insects and grass. Is it just me, Andy, or does that somehow still sound more appetising than a a Domino pizza? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, bang, there goes your next advertising contract. (laughs) (laughs) Your emails now, and uh, thanks for all of those who responded to the uh, legal aid story uh, last week, which seems to have uh, created some uh, some interest. Um, It's a fascinating story, slightly uh, slightly alarming in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, not everyone agrees with our take on it. Stephen Martin emailed in saying, thanks for the show, but I can't get excited about as excited about the legal aid issue as you two, France spends one twentieth of the amount on criminal legal aid as England does. Uh, and he sent a link to an article that I've not read yet. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but then you know, France is France, isn't it? It's the thought you that know. counts with reading. Andy. That's, that's well, I've got. I've got no internet. The internet's not working here. Yeah. So, um, so maybe we'll we'll, re- we'll revisit that issue in future. And thanks to all of those who've. Uh, Tweeted and emailed in uh, on it. Um, this email, on a completely different subject, came in from Andy in Hertfordshire. Uh, Dear John, Andy and Chris, uh, Earlier today I was skateboarding home from a friend's house. It was not a particularly big hill, but I was listening to the bugle in one ear, one ear as I leisurely went down it. All was going well until one of Andy's more irreverent jokes caused me to laugh so hard that I completely lost control, flew off my board and slid a good ten feet down the road, through a puddle and into a hedge. I forget which joke. Could have been any of them. Could literally have been any of them. As my only memory of the incident is a distinct cry of, Oh, f***! <laughs> Luckily, I managed to get away with some torn shoes, a damaged elbow and what feels like a fractured toe, so I will not be seeking legal retribution. 
Wow, you are not American, are you? Although I now demand that Chris censors Andy out of all future podcasts and John for encouraging him. Yours in pain, <laughs> Andy in Hertfordshire. So, seems, see what I can do. Seems fair enough. So this is it. There have been quite a, quite an impressive catalogue of bugle listening injuries building up. Yeah, so, um, yeah. Glad to be of service. Uh, pain is all part of the rich tapestry of life, buglers. Uh, we have another email here from uh, Stephen who says, uh, my Bugle merch finally arrived today, including my prized f- eulogy mug. Uh, still waiting for the scale model of the Machiavella drug. Uh, I noticed... Uh, God, that was that was good, Andy. I'd forgotten about that. It's nice to be reminded. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, he says, I noticed a label on the bottom of said mug that states, mug not dishwasher safe. Could it dissolve into bullshit and clog the dishwasher? Would it spread satire into the local water supply? Might Mugle merch be Eucharistic? The transubstantiated bodies of our lords and unsavouries, the trifecta of tautological travesty, the fodder, shun and holy shit. Lovely sentence. Oh, terrific. Andy, John and Chris, lovely sentence, Stephen. You took control of that car, yet you were weaving across the road a little bit, but you steered into the spin, and you got us out of it. Uh, He said, that would surely make my tea more enjoyable, especially if it turned into wine. Uh, Plus, it is certainly more likely than the hypothesis that uh, you chose a cheap printing process that would allow the ink to wear away in water, because, hey, who washes dishes? (laughs) Regardless, by the time you read this, I will have enjoyed many bullshit-infused brews and possibly died from an overdose of orally ingested satire. Either way, look I am! (laughs) Yours in the love of Florence, Stephen I. Tucker. Quality, yeah. well-written email, that, Andy. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm alarmed to hear that they're not dishwasher safe. That's. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure they're fine. It's probably fine. They're probably not fine. They're probably, are they not fine? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was you, you were positioned the perfect amount away from the <laughs> microphone, Chris, to make that comment, because it was a mutter. Yeah, they're probably not I, fine. I haven't even, I haven't even just, been Just so you know, yet. they're probably not fine. I'm still waiting for my merch, my own merch. Uh, we will be uh, there'll be a link a proper link on the website hopefully uh, from today which apparently we, we, we haven't had yet probably won't be today no but uh, anyway <laughs> <laughs> Chris you're our this, conscience this ruthless commercial operation rumbles on and you can contribute it by buying merch or more importantly taking out your voluntary subscription at thebuglepodcast.com don't forget to check out our SoundCloud page soundcloud.com slash the hyphen bugle uh, you can follow the Hello Buglers Twitter feed and John's I am John Oliver Twitter feed, which is averaging about one update every six weeks. <laughs> yeah, that's it. May get lower than that. <laughs> uh, do keep your emails coming into info at the uh, com and see you all in Norway. Uh, uh, yeah, this, this coming week, all of you do come to Norway. Um, so well that's it for this week so we're off next week we'll put something out put out a sub bugle next week and then we'll mm-hmm. be back in uh, two weeks time yep and uh, by which time John will be quite busy so uh, yeah yeah it'll be, it'll be the Friday time. before I start the show right. I mean, there may be a little little waver to my voice yeah. Andy <laughs> if you uh, you should speak to Wolf Blitzer he's uh, you know, he's probably got some good tips <laughs> I don't think Andy Wolf Blitzer, in particular, has good tips about anything <laughs> other than manicured beard growth. That um, is the one thing he's qualified to express an opinion on. And how to have a sensational name. Well, he's got a world-class name. 
There's no question about that. You're right, Andy. To be honest, I just said that because I love saying the words Wolf and well, Blitzer next to each other. You're right. I think that's the only way of explaining how he's been employed on CNN for so long. <laughs> he should have been an astronaut, I think, with that name. Yeah, because it's also, it must be fun for the other journalists. Back to you in the studio, Wolf. <laughs> Uh, Until next time, Buglers. Goodbye. Bye! And this frightened threesome. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.